0: Hello from a very beautiful, snowy, crisp, cold Switzerland. Happy new year to everybody and a happier new year for all of us, hopefully, all of us with harboring ambitions to do what we love the most, which is to go out and do concerts and get back on the road and do tours. So let's hope we're all hoping for that. Now, some of you may have seen that Getson has announced the first annual Ian Bausfield International Trombone Tenor Trombone Competition, solo competition. And um, as a quite well known and outspoken critic of competitions, I felt I owed you a little bit of an explanation. So that's coming right up. But first, let's just go back over the history of competition a little bit. I think wherever you look in life, you can't avoid competition. Perhaps the most famous ones that we know of started with the Olympics, where people would measure their skills off against each other. And everywhere you look, everything in life seems to be a competition, almost a survival of the fittest. Interviews for jobs and, of course, for auditions in orchestras. Or brass bands, or for your seating position in a youth brass band or in your university orchestra, everything seems to come down and have this big competitive element. Now this podcast is not about orchestral auditions, you've all heard my opinion on those quite a bit, and the reason why I'm not discussing that is because when orchestras choose people for their orchestra. They're looking for a specific player, a certain type of player, a certain small jigsaw piece is gonna fit into their big jigsaw puzzle. So the job parameters are very, very clearly defined. Um, Hopefully, what I really wish, I've said this so often, is I really wish orchestras would do. And of all times now this is possible, even like a virtual, this is what we're looking for. When you play the David, we were looking for this. When you play Bolero, we're looking for this type of player. Um, It's possible, isn't it? Because so many people seem to fall out of of orchestral auditions because it's like, yeah, we, we like people who play it like this. Well, if you didn't know that beforehand... I mean, one of the keys to being a great musician and orchestral player is one's flexibility to fit in with others. And if a couple of weeks, two or three weeks before, you get a DVD, you know, who knows, that's showing my age, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you get a recording, a video of, of what they're looking for. You've got three weeks to come up with the goods, and if you can do it, hey, welcome to the orchestra, that's great. And for me, that should be the attitude. Anyway, I said it wasn't going to be an orchestra about um, um, orchestral auditions, but, you know, oh, I'm on the subject anyway. Listen, you know those auditions, they they do them behind the screen. I've seen some things up on Facebook, ridiculous things about wanting to take screens down in the name of fairness, which seems, yeah, just have a think about that for a minute. But there we go. in my, in my experience of doing auditions behind screens, I've never recognized somebody I know yet. <laughs> not once, not once. I've sat on brass band judging panels where, I mean, I have no idea who's bloody playing in brass band competitions because I don't listen to brass bands, but it, brass bands are in my DNA, so I can kind of judge what's in front of me and what I'm hearing, but I've seen people saying I think band number seven was or you know what, and they were wrong (laughs) always wrong (laughs) and um so yeah I've never recognized anybody behind a curtain even someone who I thought I knew really well so I'm in favor of the curtain um and also it is really interesting how people judge the parameters. As you know, people go for feedback after auditions sometimes. I am digressing, aren't I? I apologize. So people go for feedback after auditions and they go to three trombone players and get three completely different opinions. One says you were too loud, the other says you were too quiet. (laughs) The other one said they didn't like the vibrato and the other one said, you know, they loved the vibrato, it could have been more, you know. It's an a major wonder that anyone ever gets a job really, isn't it? And I'm, uh, I'm reminded of a story of Pierre Boulez when he was music director in the BBC Symphony Orchestra in the 1970s in, in London. And he had to, for his sins, sit on all of the auditions. The music director had to be there. And um, at one lunch break, he went round and, and read everybody's notes. They'd all left their notes on the table. And he said he was totally polarised from left to right, you know. Just the opinions were so varying on every single candidate, you know. It is, it is really amazing. Um, so, certainly in my DNA, my neck of the woods, competition is part of um, the way I was brought up. We used to play what they call slow melody competitions. Um, you know, which is where you just, you literally you played a slow melody and there was like what was it the under 11s category and under 16s under 18s and then open to anybody Where even the granddads would turn up and play a hymn tune and when i was a kid not every brass band in england of whom there are there were probably thousands and i'm not kidding i mean thousands when i was a kid there probably still are actually not every brass band organized their own slow melody competition every year, um, but they, most of them did. I'm just going to have a drink of tea, hang on. Marvellous. So, when I say I do this in one take now, you know I really do. Um, and as I said, that is Japanese censure uh, green tea, uh, with which I am obsessed. I think it's wonderful. Um, and so all of these brass bands would do slow melody competitions. You get little kids having been played there, playing six months, trying to play Abide With Me or who knows what, Ba ba Black Sheep, maybe not that rudimentary, but you know what I mean? And so we were developing that ability to, you know, play beautiful melodies and hold lines, right from, you know, from basically from the cradle. And they'd bring in an external judge and then there were there um, even in price bands they had march competitions and the most famous look this up online people if you don't know about it the Whit Friday march competitions W H I T Whit Friday where every band in fact I am I'm this cup that I'm drinking out of is was given to me by Peter Moore thank you Peter. And it's of uh, the villages where he comes from, Saddleworth Villages, dopcross Upper Mill, Delft, Saddleworth, there we go. And there were several others, I don't know, 12 or 16 villages in the north of England. And bands queue up to march down the village high street and get to probably the square. And then there'd be, who knows? In some cases, it's someone sitting in a pub with the windows open, <laughs> listening to them play a march. In other cases, it's someone sitting in a caravan with the, with the curtains closed and the windows open. And so bands would play, probably still can get around, 12 or 14 villages and play their march. So they march and then they stop and then they, they pl- present their march. So, and then in my childhood, of course, all the brass band competitions where everyone measures themselves against each other and it was, it is now perhaps the only no that's not fair not the only focus for brass bands because they make recordings as well but the concerts not only in this time where all of our concerts have stopped but um, the focus on concerts for brass bands for the majority 99% of brass bands have stopped when I was a kid when I was 14 and I went to the Yorkshire Imperial Band we were doing 50 concerts a year um you know many weekends you're doing too. and um so if you want to know where i got my solo training folks i was solo trombone from the age of 14 and was very highly valued by the band and i was up on my feet 50 times a year playing solos um, plus any other opportunities that i got anywhere else so actually standing up and it was to a high level you know you get in some cases, up to a thousand people in the audience. Brass bands, people used to go to brass band concerts then. Now the focus has shifted. It, and, and so you did your concerts and then the competitions were kind of like the icing on the, on, on the cake. And it was a wonderful thing, but now they've become almost everything, you know, because the concerts have stopped. Um, so I am very deeply rooted in competition as we all are. Now, of course, when the results for these competitions come out, there is almost like tribal warfare in the hall, with bands screaming they were robbed, that they should have won, and that the judges are either bent or deaf. Well, and then, of course, now with, the, with this uh, wonderful four bars rest, website you get Stephen Mead sitting in the hall giving Stephen Mead's predictions as to how it's going. Um, Stephen, good man, listen to these podcasts. great honor for me. A wonderful Euphonium player, really carved out a career for himself where there wasn't one, model to everybody, done a great, great job. Um, now Stephen's been involved in brass bands all his life. Far more than I have. Even stupid, he knows what he's listening to. Now, he sits in the hall and he listens and he's looking and he gives his predictions, perfect, perfectly valid and reasoned predictions from a very experienced man. And then you've got the adjudicators sitting in a box with a screen, with a curtain. <laughs> Almost every time the results come out to be completely different from what Stephen thinks and what they do in the box. That doesn't mean to say that one of them's right and one of them's wrong just different perspectives and i think this has been a great thing that four bars rest has brought to brass bands because it really puts things in perspective hey everyone is going to judge things slightly differently so again we're looking down to these parameters um and i can tell you guys it's a long time since i played in a brass band competition on, how long was it getting on 39 years. Oh goodness me. Yeah, nearly 39 years ago. I've since sat in um in uh adjudication boxes to quite a high level. European championships and that sort of thing. Um and I can tell you, the judges are not deaf. <laughs> they are not deaf, they are not, and they're also not bent. I have never known anyone going to a box with an agenda to get a certain result or to favor one band over the other. I think where the problem has come that I've heard is people go in there with um, certain musical ideals, people taking the high ground of, I like my music to be like this. And if you don't do it, I've studied the score and I expect it to be like this. Uh, yeah, well, there's more than one way of looking at the score. I've seen that, I have seen that. So, but hey, it's the luck of the draw, as they say, you know, that's what's gonna happen. These people are not bad musicians. Sometimes they get a bit lofty, a little bit haughty and think, you know, and I think that, you know, the only way when I when I do it is I try and look at a score and say, what is this? What are the intentions of the composer? what does this piece mean? What is it? What is it? Not what do I think? What do I want? What do I like? Um, I mean, I'm well known for having, an, uh, I would say, a healthy obsession with wanting the written articulations to be played. You know, for example, if you get a set of quarters where, um, you know, you go if you look at the older way of playing, older, if you get a set of quarters, you get people going, Dun, 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 dun. and what is the accepted now because of modern brass pedagogy and making it better is this sweeping it under the carpet way of teaching where we would get people to go da, 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 and call it singing and being musical and phrasing That's actually not what's written because if you wanted that there's a completely different way of writing it and composers haven't. So that's, I would say, that's another day. Di- I digress even further, but I, that's my indulgence. Is I'm very obsessed with articulation, that, that what's written on the page, comes out. But I would, I would stand by that. Um, I would stand by that sort of like slight obsession because it's not about me saying I like it this way. It's like no, it's about what the composer wrote. You know, composers don't sort of sit in the morning drinking a cup of green tea, <sighs> composing some music and then go to the pub at lunchtime and have four pints, come back and think, oh, no, I'm gonna mark it out, put a dot on that one and an accent. on that. No, the articulations are integral, integral to the musics on the page. The articulations are there to help us understand the meaning of the piece and the musicality even more. They're not an optional extra. They are not to be interpreted. They are literal. So, oh, I'm getting grumpy, aren't I? Uh, another cup of green tea. Now. That's it. That usually calms me down. Don't worry. That's that should be okay. So, that's a bit of the background. We then go into, um, we then go into um, the European solo competition type of thing. Now, it's really interesting. When I started teaching in um, Switzerland, Switzerland is the hotbed of the old style of competition, soloist competition. You know, if you look at the old, now sadly no longer in operation, Geneva com- competition. Um, um, first one done in 1944. 1944. Sir George Shorty came second, I believe, on the piano, and it was for all instruments. If I remember rightly, I think he was 44. He certainly came second. Auré Nicolet, the famous, legendary, first flute in the Berlin Philharmonic, won it. French guy. I met him. I met him. 15 years ago when he was 90 odd. What a privilege. Amazing. Um, and so the education in Switzerland. It's all based around being preparing for solo training. There's very little ensemble training. Um, it's about the development of the individual. It's quite old style. It's quite old fashioned and I don't mind it. I've learned to love it. I wish we could get a bit more ensemble training in. We'd kind of got there. <laughs> And then guess what happened? Um, nobody's playing any bloody ensembles. We kind of got there to try and get a bit more of a different balance. So there's like almost no orchestral training, ensemble training. You win, an, you win an audition in a solo competition. So, you know, it was seen that auditions for orchestras were primarily a solo competition. And the one who was the best soloist would, um, would go into the orchestra. Now, one could say, if one was being mean, that if one looks at the legendary trombone sections and brass sections, you don't automatically go to this part of the world, do you? You go to the UK, you go to America. That's not to say there have not been some good ones over here, but um, I could name you many, Many superb trombone sections that are in the UK or in the USA, and actually even in even in um, uh, in Scandinavia. I want to say even in. Forgive me, Scandinavians listening. I just did a class before Christmas uh, in Copenhagen, and a group of students played um, played uh, Nabucco for me. And I, The first thing I said was, look, before, before we work on this, I'd like you to know that 95% of professional orchestras in the world would have been happy if they'd had you do that in their concert. And so that's, but we, that's not automatically what we think in this neck of the woods. It's because the solo training is like at the forefront. Um, uh, you know, you get, you get orchestras around here Second tr- second trombone jobs. I saw one in Belgium recently. Second trombone job. If I remember rightly, the Frank Martin ballad was in the first round for a second trombone job. <laughs> Come on! I mean, they you need a second trombone player who can play that. <laughs> oh, I give up. Sometimes I really do. Um, and. So this focus on the solo competition. Now, the reason for that was that on the piano, on the voice, on the strings, they would have competitions and there's a heck of a lot riding on it. Ladies and gentlemen, you win one of those, you win the Tchaikovsky competition, you're gonna be A-list mega star for as long as you can hold the bloody instrument or sit on the piano still, basically. Um and so all of the trainings is soloist, chamber music, soloist, chamber music, you know? And so I'm living in this sort of area of the competition is really important. And so it's the focus of a lot of teachers' attentions. Now I'm just gonna to digress totally right now totally you're not going to see this one coming i've just spoken and a tiny bit of spit just landed on the table sorry for anyone just eating their breakfast disgusting i know for if for no other reason that we should wear a mask at the moment it is to stop that happening i mean the safety of my own home i'm in one of our apartments which is of course at the moment now uh, empty because of the virus but um there it is if i'd been wearing a mask that would not have been there it wouldn't have hit you if i'd been talking to you and it wouldn't be sitting on the table there if i hadn't noticed it happen. somebody puts their hand on it in four hours time rubs their eyes and so there you go um that's the first time I've ever discussed any of this stuff in detail, isn't it? It's so difficult to avoid the partisan hysteria about it at the moment. But that, come on, that's a practicality. It's really clear, isn't it? Um, anyway, where was I? Ah, oh, yes, competitions. Teachers preparing students to win competitions. You know, when I take a student on, I have to hand on heart look at them and say, we're in a team. If I take you as a student, I want to know that in two years or three years, you're going to be earning your money from playing the trombone. It's an unwritten commitment that I make to everybody I take into my class. Now, I'm very lucky. I have wonderful students, and most of them now have won jobs. Most of them not immediately not all of them win jobs while they're studying with me and some of them don't even win, it, win one within six months of leaving but most of them now are I think there's the odd one or two who aren't and they keep me awake at night because I feel I've broken my own unwritten contract to my students and it hurts it's not a matter of pride it's not a matter of arrogance it's a matter of You're studying this instrument with the aim of doing it professionally. You shouldn't be entering in a lottery. So, I don't know, maybe part of a a slightly autistic street that's obsessed with fairness. I don't think I could take somebody who I didn't think I could get into a job get them to a point where they could win a job. And I share the ups and downs with them. And as Jonas Bielan said to me, when I started this job, never take credit for their success and never accept the blame for their failures. And it's a good guide. So 25 minutes into the podcast, Kitchen announces the first annual Ian Bowsfield International Tenor Trombone Solo Competition. Why? First of all, why am I I an outspoken critic of competitions? People say they're good, they're something to work for. They're something to aim to. Can't argue with that, it's a good point, isn't it? A lot of people become much better through preparing for competitions if you get a big list of solos or repertoire to to learn it's a big development process for you great but I don't think taking part in a competition where the result is um, dubious or not clear is a good learning experience. I feel the word on the ground over here, the word on the street that I hear from students is kind of like you can't expect competitions to be fair. That's what the students are saying. Like it or not, folks who are organizing competitions, when they take a competition, the number of times that I hear a student say, of course, I'm not expecting it to win. I'm not expecting to win it. Partly because, yeah, I'm probably not good enough, but partly because, well, yeah, you know. <sighs> yeah, with that jury, I'm probably not going to stand a chance. Like it or not, guys, that's the word on the streets. And that's a sad place to have come. Now, I'm not talking about every competition. Absolutely not. And I'm not talking about every Jury, but I will, I'll be honest, I look at many competitions and I see the constellation of the jury and tell my students, no, no, just don't do it. You're not going to have a chance. Um, And I have people who are sitting in A-list orchestras who two or three months previously have been out of hand dismissed in the first round of a solo competition. Now, if you're a violinist, you're a pianist and you win one of these big competitions, like I said, you're an A-lister. That's it. And there's a lot riding on it. That's why we need the competitions. I haven't seen any brass player become an automatic A-list superstar soloist because they won a solo competition. None. Not one. We only have one at the moment. We only had one real full-time professional soloist. Had. And that was Christian Lindbergh. And that he didn't—that ha- didn't happen because he won a bloody competition. He himself was uh, came fell foul of a demolition jury in France. I don't have any qualms about saying that. He himself met with a, a jury that dismissed him out of hand, out of hand. So that's one nail in the coffin of competitions, isn't it really? It wasn't easy for him, Christian. I'm doffing my cap. You you can't see it. I am doffing my cap to this guy who bloody made it happen. Um, Congratulations to him. What What a superstar, what a hero. He made a career where there wasn't one. He didn't win a competition. It wasn't easy for him. He had to fight and he did it. With or without a competition, you're going to make it if you're going to make it. Right now, we only have one, as far as I'm aware, one A-list soloist at the moment, as brass players, and that's Hulken Hardenberger, who seems to shuttle between, you know, Berlin Philharmonic, Staatskapelle Dresden, Boston Symphony, Leipzig, Gewandhaus, you know. He is he is having pieces written for him by the best composers of our day. He's there, and he's amazing. And, I've you know, I've praised him so many times. Um, you know on these podcasts it's like this guy who was good when he was in his 20s really good in his 30s and he's amazing he's, he's 60. I think you Hogan, if you're not 60 I apologize but you're you bloody nearly are I think you are actually um, amazing amazing so we only have one a lister. So why do we keep having all of these competitions? why are teachers sweeping technical issues under the carpet to get them Shoved together to play a competition so they play the most expressive Tomasi. You know, you're never going to play in an orchestra, really, maybe once after you've won an orchestral job. In a Munich competition, the list of scalps of people who have gone out in the early rounds Joe Alessi, Dietmar Kuberbach, two people who I look up to immensely as trombonists and as musicians. I've learned a lot from both of them. That really should have been the time to really scrap what was happening and have a really bloody good think about that. And I'm, I'm picking the ARD competition up, but that's, by, but that's by, by no means the only one. So what I wanted to do when I... Organised this competition. Now, why did I do it? Last summer, there were competitions galore. All in the name of helping the young players. They have no incentive. Blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah. You saw them. There were competitions. And I kind of thought, now they're all right. Bloody hell, they've got so much practice. They don't need this. They're fine. This is is fantastic, you know. And, um, but, As the autumn, as the fall progressed, I just felt this depression descending on students, which was audition after audition, concert after concert, exam after exam were being canceled. And although none of them said to me, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I bother. I got that feeling, I got this feeling of kind of malaise and I thought, well, look, we've got probably four or five months at the time of conception in November, December. We've got four or five months until things start opening up again. They just need something to get them over that last hurdle. Let's hope it's the last hurdle and not one of many, but um, they just need another push to get them through. And so that's why I did it. To quote the great Dennis Wick, I only ever do things for the right reasons. I wanted to give people an opportunity to give it one last push, a reason to practice, a reason to work, a reason to grow. Um, I wanted to help and I wanted to um, get good prizes. Thank you, Brett, Adam Getsen. You've put your money where my mouth is. <laughs> with some amazing prizes. Uh, Kristen Griego, who's up right in the beginning of this to make it happen. And he's working feverishly away in the background. I wanted to do that. And I wanted to, having been an outspoken critic of juries, and I'll be very honest with you, there are two major trombone competitions where I asked who else was on the jury and said, no, thank you, I don't want to sit there, thank you, you know. Because, oh, I haven't said why I have a problem. You you know, the people who sit on juries, they're not corrupt. They're not bad people. A lot of them are my friends. I just perhaps wouldn't want to sit on a jury with them. Um, Because too much assessment in competitions is whether I like or I no like Um, or, you know, that's not what I do, so it's wrong. And there's not, I can see with a constellation of a jury, if it goes too much in the direction of the teachers who are the sweepers under the carpet, well then, okay, I know that my students shouldn't do that, you know? But then you look at others, So there's been one or two where I've said, hey, yeah, you could do that, you know? Because it's a good balance. We need all of these things. And we, when we listen, as judges need to be trained in the same way as a wine critic. I love the wines of Burgundy. I'm obsessed with them. Um, It's always where my heart will be and where my friends are and where I've spent some of the happiest moments in my life. However, I can still assess the qualities of a wine from Argentina or from California even. I may not choose to, in fact, I choose not to drink those wines, but I can still acknowledge the qualities, the relevance, the appropriateness of a wine from Italy, how well it's made, how well it's produced, what the technique was in the production, what the, what the um, artistic philosophy is of the, of the Vigneron the quality, the length of the wine, the finish, the terroir. Is it true to itself? Is it an honest wine? Rather than saying, uh, no, no, this is not Burgundy. No, no, I I, I, no, I, don't like Syrah. I like Pinot Noir, no, no. No, in Burgundy, we, uh, we make wines like this. Yeah, no, this is not what we do. That is the equivalent of what happens in too many, not all, please, please, I am not attacking my colleagues, there are some juries that are like that, but not all, so those are the reasons why I'm outspoken about these things, another thing is, another thing that I wanted to put right, was my students very often do competitions, well I have to find out who the judges are, I have no idea who they are and and if that's the case that's a bit kind of off off track isn't it <sighs> and so that thing was it never take criticism from somebody you would never go to for advice it's like never accept feedback from someone you wouldn't take a lesson from i would say really seriously that's another thing that i wanted to put right so Always do things for the right reasons. I wanted to help the students. One, get them over the last hurdle. Two, show them the parameters. In the next few days, I'm going to be recording a video. Oh, I never went into how we're going to do it. Oh, what an idiot. Right. So what we're going to do is, all of the people who you aspire to become are orchestral players who play solos. Solos. Jürgen van Rijn, Joe Lessie, you know, we've all done it. I was in the Vienna Philharmonic. All became very successful orchestral players and are soloists. Some of them are like orchestral players and they sound like they're orchestral players when they're playing solos a little bit and some of them are soloists who sound a little bit like soloists when they're playing orchestras. That's okay. Great. Different balance. But first of all, Going back to my commitment to students to earn their money first of all shows you can earn your money. Plays the first movement of the David. Plays the Mozart Requiem. Yawn, yawn, boring, boring, boring. Yeah, yeah, big deal. Yeah, sorry guys. If you want to work, if you want to earn money, that's what you've got to do. And so, next point. I'm doing a video in the next few days of the parameters as to how to play the Davi Concerto and the Mozart Requiem. Now, it's not a coaching video and it's not a, a video explaining to you how you, how you should play the stuff. It's saying you cannot move away from these rhythmic articulation, dynamic parameters that are written on the page. I'm not going to teach you how to practice it. I'm not going to tell you to play it like this. I'm saying, these are parameters. So it's a bit of a dangerous video for me to make because I'm kind of saying, I think this is what an orchestra in Cincinnati or Stockholm um, or, or, or Rome or Athens is going to be looking for. If these, the parameters are the same in every orchestra in the world. You put your colours on top of that. You put your musicality on top of that. You put your sound on top of that. That's not my business. That's not our business. So that's the first stage. The second stage is play as a solo. Forget all of that nonsense. Forget all of that dressage style audition approach. Play as a solo. You can play Karen by Tsanarchis. You can play the Preston Fantasy. You can play the Bluebells of Scotland. You play anything you want. Play something you've written. We want to know who you are. We want to hear what you can do. That's a soloist. That's when you let your hair down. on the money's falling out now these days, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's when you show us who you are. Show us what you've got. That's what we want to hear. Now, the other thing is the judges. I have assembled a group of players from whom I would not only take advice, I would take a lesson from all of them. In fact, in some cases, they are the most respected trombone players I know and I do go to them for advice. So I recommend you do too. They may may jot down some comments, take them seriously. Just on that point, to other people who judge competitions, (laughs) I know my students really well. When they get a report sheet back from a competition, I'm not looking to learn something about my students. I know about my students. I'm learning about how much you heard and whether you got it right or not. (laughs) Sorry, it's a benefit of being old. Uh, Another side, a side here. Joe, uh, my wife is, was a fantastic drum and she did an ITF competition. And Joe Lessie judged it. And I said to him, I said, hey, uh, Joe, you know, you judged my girlfriend in that. And he got very, oh, 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 uh, what well, uh, was what I said? And he was, he went points one to 10, what you need to fix and how you fix it. He was absolutely on the money. And unbelievable. But that, I'm afraid, has been the exception. Um, so, I've assembled this amazing group of players. you find out who they are soon. And I will not be there in the first round. When you play, it's the Ian Bowsfield solo competition. I'm probably gonna have at least 20 current or former students in this competition. I there are two things. I am fair. Ladies and gentlemen, I am fair. There are two things. One is fairness, and the other is the appearance of fairness. So in order to appear, fair, I will not be there in the first round. The first round will also be, as it were, behind a the curtain. There will be only numbers and a recording. And um, if, in my opinion, too many of my students get into the second round. I will not judge that because you have to see that I'm being fair. In The second round, there will be video. And then, you know, you, you play the orchestral stuff again, prove as you can earn your money, show you can earn your money and then do the solos. And um, that's how we're gonna run it. I think I've covered everything. That That's for me, how a competition for trombone should be run and it's our obligation, as when these competitions are run well, it's our obligation, if asked to sit on a jury, to do it. It's something we should be doing to give back. Um, but organisers have the obligation to set the parameters as fairly and as appropriately as possible. Like, What is this competition for? Well, you know, here we go. Show us you can earn your money. Show us who you are. The prizes are amazing. You'll get the video. You'll get the parameters. So this is me trying to show this is how I think we should do it. And yeah, I think that's it. Um, Thank you all very much for listening to one of the longest podcasts I've done. You can see I'm amazingly excited about this. I'm really looking forward to getting this going. And um, I look forward to hearing you. Let's get over these next few months and um, I look forward to seeing you all in person sometime soon. Good luck everybody.